Hello and welcome to season two of the Neurodivergent Birth Podcast. It's wonderful to be back. This season we are exploring the question, why does this topic matter? Why does supporting neurodivergent birth matter? And that's one of the questions we will be asking each of our guests. Kicking off the season, we have Hayley Morgan, who is an autistic mother, researcher and author. And she talks to us about her experience of being autistic, her birth experiences and empowerment as an autistic mum. Enjoy. Welcome to the Neurodivergent Birth Podcast, where each week we explore neurodivergent perinatal experiences. You can follow us Instagram at neurodivergentbirth and ndbirth.com. Hello, Hayley Morgan. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Neurodivergent Birth Podcast and uh, kicking off season two for us. I'm very grateful to you. If you don't mind, can we just start with a bit of an introduction? So who you are and, and what you do and in what way you identify as neurodivergent? So who I am, um, as you said, I'm Hayley Morgan um, and I'm an autistic mother who, as I became a mother, I realised I was autistic and went through the diagnostic process, assessment, and then I slowly began the unravelling of understanding my autistic identity and that was really intrinsically wrapped up in becoming a mother and some, you know, greater goal of becoming this empowered person that I, I do believe I am today. Um, and that kind of sparked an interest in finding out more via research. That's always been a coping mechanism of mine. Um, and it's landed me quite well in terms of um, in terms of academia as well as, you know, um, personal level of empowerment as well. And, um, you know, you mentioned kind of your own experiences there and the, and it's it's quite a um, common story, isn't it? A lot of people discover more about their neurodivergence at a time of embarking on parenthood and everything yeah. that that brings. Do you mind sharing a little bit about how now that you have this kind of new lens of understanding your autistic identity, how that may have impacted your perinatal experiences that you've had? That's a, that's obviously, as you know, that's a huge question. A huge and, question. I, I, <laughs> and initially, my first thought is to say, you know, how easy would that be to answer if you flip the script and, and asked a neurotypical person, mm. how does your brain wiring affect your birth experience? But yeah. for many of us, I know you're not trying to catch me out there. I, <laughs> I know. I, know. <laughs> I think it's a really useful perspective for everyone. It's a good thought exercise, you know, yeah. when your brain wiring autism is, is so much more than that. It, it's who you are. It's how you sense the world. It's how you interact with the world. Um, it's how the world sees you as well and yeah. how it reacts to you. So it's such a it's such a huge issue. But um for me, it really it really was, I don't know if it's kismet or just coincidence or whatever you want to call it, but becoming a mother, um, I started to want to feel more empowered, to understand myself more and prepare myself better to become a mum. Yeah. And um identifying my autistic traits accepting that I'm different and that I wasn't less than um, was a huge part of that. Um, it started round about um, just after the birth of my first baby, which was quite traumatic, just in terms of pregnancy, um, aftercare, once I got home from hospital, initiating breastfeeding, it was really, really quite difficult and something I felt 
that was a battle when it really didn't need to be. Um, and it just so happened that I had family members who were female and were recently diagnosed. Okay. And I heard um, I was recommended some resources to look at while I was breastfeeding the baby, um, some blog articles. And I read a list of, gosh, I think it was around 50 characteristics. Um, and I thought, tick, 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 you yeah. know, <laughs> bingo. That's <laughs> why I am the way I am. Um, and yeah, just in terms of feeling like that was the, piece of the puzzle for me and that you know I, I understand that many people um are not okay with that but in terms of my lifespan in terms of my personal story understanding my neurodivergent identity was huge in that I really I really appreciate you kind of flipping the question there because it's something that I've never really thought about yeah we don't ask neurotypical people how their brain wiring how their neurology affected their experiences. And it's very difficult actually to answer that question, isn't it? So I'm I'm really like, that's really made me think. And I'm very grateful that you've said that. <laughs> I guess uh, <laughs> I guess there are some themes, right, that we're that we that we're aware of that are, you know, where there are differences between people who are neurodivergent and neurotypical, some areas of, of difference that are obviously experienced whilst we're very mindful of the fact that everybody's an individual and we can't kind of say that, you know, all autistic people do this or are like this or, but things like the sensory experience of being pregnant, having a baby and the postnatal period. Is there anything around, around the sensory processing side that kind of stood out for you? Yeah, I honestly, I think the sensory issues um, was a turning point when I became pregnant because I'd suffered um, a miscarriage previously. Um, and I use, you know, research as a coping mechanism, which is, again, something that we see a lot with neurodivergent people giving birth and during pregnancy. Yeah. But in terms of the sensory issues, that really was a turning point. Um, with my first successful pregnancy, my now nine-year-old, I remember going to the first, the, what they call the booking-in appointment with the midwife and describing certain symptoms and she told me that you know there's absolutely no way that you could have felt xyz it's far too early and you know I've never heard a woman say these things before but I I knew what I felt I knew I felt the little jolt of electricity I knew I felt different in my womb very Mm -hmm. very early on Mm -hmm. my whole body then felt different um, and that's something that I treasure now. But at the time, I really was quite gaslighted about, you know, what I was sensing. And that definitely echoed down the pregnancy for both, really, but it was particularly bad in the first because I was unaware of why I was sensing things the way I was. Yeah. Um, so in my first birth plan, there was nothing about uh, making sensory accommodations. Um that's not to say the second was idyllic. I did write some things down about uh, lights and noise, and none of that was adhered to. But in terms of sensory, I mean, it started very much from interoception to um, like the emotional side of things as well. You know, I'm feeling my body change more than the textbook said was yeah. possible. Um, and once I accepted that and accepted those differences within myself, I felt that it did help me to bond with the baby far more. Wow, yeah, okay. I've got nothing to compare that to because I've never been neurotypical, but <laughs> for me, I kind of, you know, leaned into it a bit. I think, you know, we often 
when we're having these conversations, we can be quite focused on the difficulties and the challenges. And actually, that sounds like a, a real kind of like a positive experience that you had in terms of how connected you felt to your baby. Yeah, it, it really did. Like I keep using echo down the line, but they are, they are common themes. And I found that it helped um, with my breastfeeding journey as well, yeah. because while shopping centres, for example, um, would be for most newly breastfeeding mothers the the hardest place to initiate yeah. public breastfeeding. But for me, with the sensory cocoon, that you know that flow of oxytocin, that letdown reflex, I was in my own world. I was in my own bubble with the baby, mm. and it was kind of an instant sensory cocoon breastfeeding. Yeah. It, it was a huge part of pregnancy and becoming a mother. You mentioned with your second. Um birth kind of having some accommodations in there was that did you have an awareness then of did you have a diagnosis before you had your second child or just kind of more of an awareness of some of your sensory needs um I was on the pathway so when I gave birth to my second I was aware I was different I was aware that I was autistic um I'd attended while I was heavily heavily pregnant um pre-assessment screening with someone who I don't believe had much autism knowledge. If they did, it was rather stereotyped mm. and they didn't feel it was applicable to me. So I was about eight months pregnant. I went along to the screening appointment, kind of, you know, an audition for an, os- an assessment. Yeah. Um, and I was told, oh, you know, we've all got, we're all a little bit on the spectrum. I think it's just because, you know, you're heavily pregnant, you've got a toddler and you do the PGC, so you're a bit stressed. Mm. And I remember thinking, I thrive being busy. I thrive in academia. I love being a mum. I'm not saying it's easy, um, but to say that I was just stressed was just wholly inaccurate. Um, But I had heard from family members and support networks that there was a specialist in my local health board who uh, specialised in diagnosing autistic women late diagnosis. Um, And I kind of pushed, um, I think, you know, being a mum and becoming more assertive, I pushed and I thought, no, I I want to see this woman. I've heard great things about this legend of a, of mm-hmm. a psychologist. Um, so I did push a bit further and thankfully I, I got through to an assessment. Actually, I got assessed and diagnosed um, on Valentine's Day mm-hmm. when my baby had been born in early December. And did did the the sort of sensory elements of your birth plan or your your kind of awareness of some of your cognitive needs? I think you mentioned that they weren't adhered to. Do you have a sense of why that is? You know, even if we can explicitly ask for some of these things, is the missing piece there a lack of a like an understanding why those things might be important? I think. From my personal experience um, and the research I've been doing as part of my PhD and the book and the NSC, all on the same topic, it all kind of corroborates that the NHS is in dire need of extra funding. Um, You know, it's difficult to criticise midwives. Um, I've come to know and love so many of them. Um, And to put the blame solely on them as individuals feels completely wrong um you know there are timing constraints there are rotors there are handovers there, there's so much that they do to keep you safe mm-hmm. and to mm-hmm. make sure a protocol is adhered to but sometimes for an autistic person that is you know completely the opposite of what your needs are yeah 
Yeah. So, for example, I had asked for, you know, lights off to understand that I express pain differently, but there just simply wasn't time mm. um, for everybody to get to know that. And with my first birth, I was in labour for 36, 40 hours. Um, and because of the change of staff there, you know, there's practical implications, there's policy level issues that can affect your care as well, you know. No, that's so key. I think it's um, the system as a whole uh, that is struggling to kind of accommodate individual needs, isn't it? That's what it kind of comes down to. Yeah, laying the blame or being critical of kind of individual midwives is not the way to tackle it. It's about, it's a a much bigger complex issue, isn't it? About kind of inefficiencies in the NHS and funding and everything. But yeah, I think having, continuing to have these conversations and the, the research that's going on, and we'll, we'll get onto that, um, is all part of the picture, isn't it? And kind of improving outcomes for neurodivergent people. Yeah, I think everybody needs a seat at the table to make this work. But thankfully, midwives have been so accommodating, so upfront about admitting that they don't know um, as much as autism as they'd like to Um, and it's it's something that you know I've very rarely seen in you know different sectors that I've worked with in terms Mm. of autism education but yeah midwives have been so forthcoming um, and we've had a fantastic response so far so you know the future is definitely looking brighter. It's a real time of change isn't it I've spoken about this before it feels like there's like real momentum now and kind of this area of research and the conversations that are going on and and in fact I was kind of late on to our call this morning because I was looking at a, re- a recent webinar that you and your fellow colleagues at Marge Maternity Autism Research Group ran with uh, RCM Royal College of Midwives so yeah the conversations are happening which is, which oh, is really exciting yeah. really exciting so you you um mentioned there your PhD and your book and I wonder if you would mind sharing with us a bit about the work that you're doing in this field Absolutely, yeah. So um, as I mentioned earlier, that I was diagnosed just as I became a mum. Um, and research of books is my kind of jam, is my kind of mechanism. Yeah. So when I heard that there was a master's in autism and related conditions at Swansea Medical School, my baby was a couple of weeks, couple of months old when there was an open day. So I took this tiny, tiny baby along with me. Everybody was cooing while I was reading the leaflets. <laughs> yeah. um, so I joined the MSE while I had a very, very new baby and a toddler, which to anybody else, I'd say, oh, that sounds very stressful. Maybe you should think about that. But it was absolutely essential, intrinsic to empowering me Mm -hmm. as an autistic mother. I understood things like services and policies and the law. I then was taught about um, diagnosis and assessment and the theory underlying that. and information gathering, it really is um, how I understand the world. So it was one of the best things I've ever done. Um, Amazing. And because of, you know, the time of my life, you know, just becoming a mum. And I started writing the odd blog post and using social media to connect with other autistic mothers. And I found that I had far more in common with other autistic women in Australia or Texas or literally across the world than I did with other mums in the um, parent support group or on the same ward as me who happened to be neurotypical. 
So I thought there's definitely something in this. Um, yeah. So with the support of my supervisors, I designed and distributed a survey online. I had about about 250 um, participants responded, which was huge for for me and you know for an MSc. Um, yes. And the data was overwhelming. Yeah. Um, not just in terms of echoing my own experiences, because with my scientific hat on, I take myself out of the equation somewhat. But in terms of issues around informed consent, in terms of um, autonomy, stigma, unnecessary mm-hmm. interventions, mm-hmm. Um, not just in terms of medical interventions, but in terms of social services as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the themes that were coming out of that were really quite alarming. And I felt called to it almost. Um, yeah. And it was at that time I met some, another autistic mum who literally lives a street away up the mountain from me. And she was very passionate about it too, and that was Emma. And she did her dissertation on the same um, topic and designed the training package for midwives. So we started presenting together and realised there really is an appetite to learn more about autism, pregnancy and aftercare. Um, so it was during a lockdown while I I was um, waiting for my graduation ceremony from the MSc that I said to Emma, I know I'm trying to homeschool two tiny children. Do you want to write a book? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a good time. Yeah, yeah why not? <laughs> but um, we did and our proposal got accepted. Um, we had an issue with um, an author being unavailable, but thankfully it worked out the best and we ended up having the fabulous Karen Henry, who I think you've interviewed. Yeah. Yes, recently. absolutely. Um, she got on board. And as an autistic midwife, she's been absolutely invaluable in terms of her contributions as well. So I did um, the MSc and the book. Um, but the fact that I had 250 voices as well as my mm. own saying such serious things really I mean we're talking we're not talking oh you know the light bulb wasn't the right colour the music wasn't the right track we're talking human rights violations yeah. um, in a lot yeah. of many of the cases and I just couldn't quite let it go um, I'm quite tenacious and I had my you know my mama bear hat on yeah um, and I tried to find if there was um, funding available for this topic but um, I got rejected quite a lot and then I decided I'm going to do what I'm good at, I'm going to create my own path. I'm going to create the importance for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I self-funded my PhD, which is quite good because I got complete control over the design and the approach. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've got, I'm scared to count, but I've got three or four months left of my PhD. Okay. <laughs> Try not to think about it too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. That's so incredible. And yeah, it sounds like, the autonomy that that's brought you, like the fact that you that the funding bit didn't work out, but the autonomy that's brought you is actually like really kind of suits what you want to do and the way you want to to do. Oh, it. that's a really good reflection. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, academia isn't really about intelligence; um, it's about stubbornness more than anything. <laughs> <I've got. laughs> yeah. Uh, that I think that's amazing and I'm really um, excited for you but I also am excited for the people that are going to be able to access this book so tell me about the, the what the book's called and when it's when it's available. So it's available on Amazon and other good book retailers via um, JKP Publishing so Jessica Kingsley fantastic autism specialists 
Um, so you can get your pre-order in now. And the easiest way to do that is either look on the JKP website um, or have a look on Amazon. Just search um, Supporting Autistic Parents, Hayley Morgan or Emma Dermott, um, and you'll find us there. You can pre-order. Um, but you've got, we found that it, we needed to add voices or autistic voices yeah um if we were to educate those supporting them in pregnancy and birth but we felt that the amount of research we'd done in a medical school we didn't want it to go to waste really yeah. we wanted you know we knew that evidence-based practice um uh, you know things that were backed up by science and a lot of data would i hope we hope be listened to um, so, um, but we mixed in, you know, the powerful stories yeah. from autistic people. We've got our own reflections. We've got those from others, kind of interspersed throughout the chapters, really. Yeah. So you've got the evidence. You can go and look up references. You've got practical guidelines. You've got bullet points. You've got training package ideas. What that could look like. How to get the autistic voice on board, as well as the more. Um, information heavy things about common co-occurring conditions for example mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. many medical professionals would need to know about yeah so is the book the audience for the book mainly health professionals people supporting autistic people or is it for autistic people themselves who are navigating this time of their lives everything we do primarily is autistic people like us who the book we would have wanted yes as, yeah as fact-based kind of autistic people that we are it's the book that we wanted um but also it's the book that we wish that the people caring for us in the hospital and in the community had had amazing and I I, this almost seems like a trivial question now in light of what you've just said about human rights and you know how important this work is but the theme of this season of the podcast is I'm kind of pinching it from the I don't know if you're aware of the Pinter and Martin book series which is all about uh, why things matter in birth so the question that I would add to their book series is why does neuro supporting neurodivergent birth matter why what drives you to do this work yeah what are, what's the the underlying driving force for you Obviously, there's a lot of personal motivation. Yeah. But the thing that this, when you asked that question, the thing that came to mind was when I was presenting the idea of autism specific midwifery training on the MSC, we were giving pro- uh, presentations for our dissertations. Um, and the first person to put their hand up to give feedback about this kind of idea um, said, well, why do we need it? Because autistic people give birth just like anybody else. And while, you know, that's, it's got its merit, it makes you think. It's an yeah. interesting perspective and people will think that when they see the work I've done with Marge and the book and so on. But in terms of like undeniable data, the data says that we are far more likely to have unnecessary interventions. Um, if you want to go down the the pathway of co-occurring conditions for example Mm -hmm. you've got learning difficulties you've got epilepsy you've got um language disorders although that you know these are all terms that I'm not really medical term yeah yes yeah um but those are things that inherently can affect your ability to consent to being examined physically um it can directly lead to stigma from 
those who are in a position to call social services over something that is just potentially your autistic way of existing or communicating. Yeah. Um, and like I said, it fundamentally is a human rights issue, really. Yeah. And I really feel, again, I think from kind of personal experience that the driving force for me is the avoidance of trauma. Like I, I feel too many people are starting life out, starting family life on this foundation of trauma because they've had such a, a traumatic experience perinatally. Um, you know, when they weren't listened to, you mentioned uh, informed consent and yeah, coercion and all the, th- the themes that you um, referred to before. And it's just, it's not fair on families. You know, it's, it's not fair on, on the people giving birth, but on the wider family as well, because the ripple effects of starting family life on that foundation, you know, cannot be underestimated. They go on for years and the impact babies and children and everybody um, who's part of that, that family unit. So this is important work. It's, it's, it's definitely um, in response to the person who asked you that question. Sam, my colleague, talks about lifting your gaze, you know, looking at the, the bigger picture and the, the wider impact. And I think that's this conversation really um, reflects the need to kind of lift your gaze and look at the wider picture. Doing that, though, I do believe that, you know, this Marge itself um, and, you know, the current wave of people looking at um, autism and maternity care, we do need to widen our gaze and um, spotlight voices of those who are minority ethnicities. Just basic age, we need to change the discourse from educated white women saying what autistic people need. Yes, we have to put the caveat that what we are advising is limited. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, a limited experience and there's a wider range of experiences to consider. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I've already prompted you about my closing question, but it's quite a difficult question because it's difficult to choose one thing. But I always ask everybody if there was one thing, if if there's a pregnant neurodivergent person listening, what's one thing that you would like them to know? To know their own needs, um, I think that is a much bigger task than you'd think when someone, like I had been masking for 30 years, I'd buried my own needs, my own instincts so much I didn't know what they were. And it was only becoming a mum and realising that I'm wired the way I am and that that's okay. Um, I slowly started piecing together what my needs were and trusting my gut and my instinct. so I would say acknowledge your instincts. Yeah, and acknowledge your instincts. Yeah, and it may be a battle because your instincts may be very different because of the way your neurotype is wired. Mm-hmm. But they are just as valid and just as important as anybody else. And you've got a support network too. Things are hopefully improving, but we are online you may not see us out in public because we you know we can be quite socially awkward (laughs) (laughs) but you know we're there online uh there are numerous support groups websites and people are fighting to make change yeah thank you so much and yeah i will share in our episode notes some um of those resources because you're absolutely right the more 
the more you look, the more that there is. There's a whole community of people who are, you know, having very different but common experiences at times um, yeah. as they navigate the perinatal period. And there's so much support that comes with that. It's just knowing where to, to find it. So thank you so exactly. much for sharing that. And yeah, if anybody wants to follow the work that you and Marge are doing, then the link to the Maternity Autism Research Group is also in the notes. So there's some great resources on the website if you want to read more about any of these topics that we've covered today. Really, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak to me and best of luck with the book launch. I will be first in the queue <laughs> to get my hands on it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much.